The following is brought to you by Canyon Ridge Church at Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com. It's great to be here with all of you today. As John said, my name is Andrew. Um, and if you want to go ahead, if you have your Bible or you have a Bible app with you, turn to John chapter 15. Uh, if you don't, then you can just sit there looking embarrassed. And No, I'm just kidding. Uh, we're going to have actually all the scriptures up on the screen. So if you didn't bring a Bible, then lucky you because you have the biggest one in the house. So I congratulate you now. Um, I also want to apologize in advance because we're going to be jumping around a lot. So if you have a paperback Bible with you today. I apologize for any paper cuts you might receive if you plan on following along. Uh, if you want to avoid that possibility, then you're free just to see what's up on the screen as well. Uh, but if you weren't here last week, then I want to let you know what we started. And we started a brand new series called Reset Button. And we're talking about how when you accept Jesus into your life, he comes with him with a gift of new life that you're able to receive that you're no longer stuck with the bondage of your old life before Christ, that he comes in with a new, fresh life and a fresh beginning for each and every one of us. And so we emphasized last week about his grace and how his grace is a gift to us, right? That no one can earn it. You can't do anything special to receive God's grace, and you can't lose it once you have it, that he has given it to us freely, and it's one of the most amazing aspects of our God, I can say, that we have. And this week, we're going to actually be focusing on something that uh, is a little bit darker, per se, and it's something that is of the utmost importance to all of us. It's, it's something that the Bible promises every single one of us will experience at some point, in some form, and that is suffering, right? Whether it's suffering for our faith, whether it's tragedy that incurs in our life, whatever it may be, the Bible promises us that that is something we will have to endure in our lifetime. At some point, some of us may be more than others, but every single one of us will go through it. And that's why it's of utmost importance to you today to take heed and listen to what we're going to talk about and what God has to say to you, because if you haven't experienced this already, then you know that it's coming for you, right? Then you know the Bible, when the Bible promises something, it doesn't lie, right? And so if you haven't experienced that today, then you can know that it's coming for you. But what's great is we're not just talking about suffering, but we're talking about how God can comfort us in our suffering, and that's our hope for today. Our hope is to be able to leave here and whatever we have gone through in the past or we're going through or we will go through, we can know, trust, and believe that God has comfort for us. And so before we get into things, I just want to pray real quick and we'll jump in. Father, today we tackle a hard subject of suffering that is a result of this fallen world, Lord, that we have to live in it, but we know that you're able to redeem it, Father. You're able to redeem everything bad in our lives in this world for your glory. And so I ask today that you would help us to take heed of what you have to say to us, Lord, and that we would be confident in your abilities and in your strength, Lord, that we would be reliant upon you fully and not our own strength, Father, and that we would be able to see the redemption that you have for us in our suffering, Lord, as we go throughout our lives. In your name we pray, amen. amen. So the title of today's talk, 
which if you're taking notes, you can write down, and if you're not, I highly suggest that you do, is the princess is in another castle. Now, you may know what that phrase is from. I don't know if you do or not. Uh, but there's this old school game called Super Mario Bros, right? Some of you may have heard of that. I looked it up just to get a little information. And I found out that it came out like eight years before I was born. So it was like 1985 is when it came out. So a lot of you have probably heard about it. It's one of the like biggest video games in history, right? It sold the second most copies of any game in history other than Wii Sports, which that's kind of like a cop-out because that came with every console that it sold. So that, no one really bought that. It just came with it. Um, but I was thinking about how amazing God is that he's able to speak through anything. You know, like when I was preparing for this sermon, I bought a few books. I read somewhere around like 500 pages this week, and I don't read books. So that was like, that was God's power, like anointed right there. And I spent all this time reading and praying and reading and praying and and then I sit down just to take a little break and, you know, play some Mario. And here, here comes God, you know, using even that for, for his revelation and glory. So, you know, praise to him that he can speak to me in my language, which is playing video games. I'm happy about that. Uh, but I was just kind of thinking about the correlations between that game and our walk in life. And it's going to be a little bit of a stretch, but bear with me. It'll make sense at the end. But at the beginning, you're going to say, I don't see how that's related at all. But that's all right, because as long as you listen for the next 30 minutes, then you're going to get it, and I won't feel stupid. Uh, but it's amazing, you know, the correlation that comes into our entertainment with our everyday lives. I already mentioned that suffering is a part of this world, right? Because we live in a fallen world where there's sin and there's death. And so the natural consequence of that is there will be suffering in it. We'll all have to go through something to whatever extent it is, I can't tell you. But I find it interesting that, you know, in the game of Mario, you are this, this little guy who's quite diverse, right? He's an Italian plumber who lives in New York that was made in Japan. So he has a lot of cultural ethnicity to him and a, a big background. But, you know, he runs through these levels to seek a prize and a reward but he faces these trials and obstacles along the way. And I know that, you know, that seems like a little bit of a stretch, but if you think about it, like, I don't, he dies millions of times, he hits his head on bricks, he gets run over by turtle shells, right? So he has a pretty rough life, if you ask me. I wouldn't want to be him. And on top of that, he has to work with plumbing. So, you know, he, he deals with a lot. Uh, and I just find it interesting that even our entertainment is to overcome suffering, so to speak, you know? You never thought of it that way, but now every time you look at shows, like what happens in a movie, right? There's always a plot, there's some sort of issue that arises, and then the hero has to overcome it, right, to receive his victory. There's always some sort of suffering involved, and it's such a big part of our culture that it has implemented itself even into our entertainment. And I think that today, God is telling us that the most important thing that we can do when it comes to our suffering is to press into him. He's showing us that he is our comfort in suffering. God wants to comfort us every time we go into a season of suffering or we face a trial. And, you know, real quick, I got to go back because I forgot about this. But um, in Mario, just to get to the important things, in Mario, 
Uh, there's this one level, I gotta tell you this, if you, if you uh, are in a community group and have you know, a quiz coming up this week, this might be of important note to you. Uh, but World 8 Level 3 is the most difficult level you will ever face in a game of Mario. And so I thought you would like to know that if you're taking down notes and want some bonus points, but I'm not going to give you any hints as to why, you know. Uh, but remember that, because you want it. World 8, level 3. Easy way to remember that. All right, and so anyways, getting back to the matter at hand, the Bible touches on two, well, it touches on multiple aspects of suffering, but we're going to focus on just two today. Two big points that the Bible touches on at two different types of suffering, and those would be righteous suffering and tragic suffering. So beginning with righteous suffering, and when I say righteous suffering, essentially what I mean is suffering in any form of persecution for your faith or what you believe in, right? So facing persecution for your faith. And so if you're John, if you're at John uh, 15, then we're going to go ahead and read from verses 18 through 19. And we'll have it up on the screen for you as well if you didn't bring a Bible today. And it says that if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. And this is Jesus talking right here. He said, the world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you are no longer part of the world. I choose you to come out of the world, and so it hates you. So we're talking about how God comforts us in, his, in our suffering, but I can't really say how this verse comforts us necessarily, right? Like, it basically says, once you've accepted me, you're no longer part of this world, and so everything in this world will hate you. And I think, well, man, there's a lot of world around me. That's a lot of things that can hate me, right? There's a lot of things that can go wrong when I see this. But what Jesus is trying to tell us is that we will face adversity for our faith. And what's amazing about where we live, we are so blessed to live in a world where there's, or a country where there's literally a church on every single street corner, you know. I pass like nine churches on my way to this one, which God has called me to, right? And so you have one a block down the street and a block down the street, and you have like ten over there within two minutes. We have so many opportunities to go to uh, a place of worship and to hear about the Lord and to sing His praise and and just be filled with the Spirit. And yet, Jesus right here is telling us that we will suffer persecution for our faith. And sometimes that's hard to see in our culture because we have this freedom to worship Him whenever we want, wherever we want. But we also know that it's not quite the case in other countries. We know that you know there are countries where the government has outlawed Christianity, where they are no longer able to share their faith there, and they do so at the risk of jail or death or so many things. Now, I have a friend who recently just came back from a missions trip to Nepal, which was a country that is uh, estimated to be about 95% Hindu, uh, 4% Buddhist, um, and then somewhere along half a percent each of Muslim and Christian. And uh, she was talking a lot about how they have a very um, sort of, I don't know the word, hierological, that's not right, but they have a hierarchy, there we go, of status, and it's amazing that in that culture, 
the people who get to go to college are kind of at the top, where, you know, nowadays we would consider that the top 1%, right? But uh, it's the people who have the greatest income, the greatest knowledge, uh, but also to be in that relation, you have to be Hindu. You can't be anything else. And so if you were born into a Hindu family in Nepal, then chances are you're going to have a great life. You're going to be able to go to college. You're going to be able to get a good job. But the moment somebody switched their faith to Christianity, they immediately get dropped down into the outcast. They're no longer accepted in the college. They can't apply for college. They're not going to get in. They can't apply for any job that we would consider to be over minimum wage. Basically, they're going to be driving taxis um, for the rest of their life in that area. And so there, it actually costs you something to be a Christian. It costs you wealth. It costs you status. It costs you education. To be a Christian in Nepal basically means to be an outcast from Nepal. You are no longer valued there. And I think... That's something amazing that, to think of that, you know. I've grown up here my entire life, and never once have I seen that, you know. I, have, I don't know about you, but at school growing up, like, the, all the kids who wanted to be important and valued would pretend to be Christian, and yet, if they lived in any country other than this, then there's no way they would have, because they wouldn't have gained any recognition or glory from being a Christian. And yet, here, that's almost what it seems like. And so when Jesus tells us we're going to face adversity for being Christian, we don't always correlate that with our own lives. But we have to know that it's out there. And even though, you know, that's kind of an extreme example, we face adversity in our own lives at being Christians. And we face it without even knowing it part of the time. Like, people call fear the great paralyzer because fear is what keeps us from doing certain things, right? But it's not just like an arbitrary fear. If you think about it, all of that fear is a fear of suffering, right? Or a fear of having to go through something negative. Like, I'm not afraid of something because it's going to be good. I'm afraid of something because it's going to be bad, because I don't want to suffer through the repercussions of acting on it. And so when we have this fear of sharing our faith with people because we're afraid to lose our relationship, you know, we always say, you know, I don't, I don't want to lose this friendship. I can speak into their lives if I just keep building it up. Um, or we're afraid of speaking out at work for something that we believe in because we may not receive a promotion that we've been looking forward to, or we may not even be able to keep our job if we do so. What we're really doing is we're afraid of the suffering and persecution that Jesus said we will endure as a result of our faith. But today, I want to reset your perspective a little bit about why we're even here. And that is that we are here to please God, not people. And that God says that it pleases Him if we suffer persecution for His name. Right? And that's kind of weird. We think God wants us to suffer. It's like, well, you got you to gotta clarify this a little bit. God doesn't want you to suffer God wants you to stand up for what is right. And oftentimes, standing up for what is right will bring persecution and suffering into your life. If we look now at Matthew 5, verses 10 through 12, we have Jesus talking a little bit more about this. <coughs> and I, I put on the message translation because that one hits a little bit harder. Uh, but this is Jesus talking again, and he's saying, You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper 
into God's kingdom. Not only that, but count yourselves blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and they are uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Give a cheer even. For though they don't like it, I do. Jesus saying, I do like it when you preach my gospel. And it says, and all of heaven even applauds. And know that you are in good company, because my prophets and witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. If you've read through the Bible or been to church long enough and heard all the stories, you'll notice that there is a very common theme, and that is that everybody who is preaching God's gospel, whether it's in the Old Testament before they truly knew what that was, or after Jesus came, they all suffer persecution, right? The prophets in the Old Testament, most of them died young as martyrs. Basically, every single disciple except for John died, and he was outcast from society on an island in isolation. They all faced the same suffering, the same intense pain and persecution from their faith. And now, that doesn't really sound like much of a comfort when I say that, does it? Like, man, I'm not looking forward to this. But what the comfort should be is that we know that when we're facing this persecution, it's because we're standing up for what's right and what God has called us to be doing. There's an amazing analogy if you think about it. When you walk out of a room and you turn off the light, it's called turning off the light because when the light is on, there's no darkness in the room, right? Like you don't walk out of the room and say, hey, make sure to turn on the darkness on your way out, right? You say, turn off the light. And that's because the light has the power to shine out any darkness that may be in that room. And in the same way, when we stand up for what is right, we are trying to drive out the darkness that this world has brought into our lives. And God is saying that he is the light that is going to shine through us and that is going to drive this darkness out of it. And where there is good, evil cannot stand to be, which is why it fights so hard to keep us from turning on the light. It doesn't want us to. It wants to stay there. It wants to reign over this earth. You know, the Bible describes the devil as being the prince of this earth. And so since we have that we know that this earth naturally wants to stay as it is, that the devil wants to keep his reign everywhere in our lives. So he says, if I can just give them enough suffering and enough persecution for their faith, they're not going to want to stand up for what is right anymore and I'll be able to win. That's what he's trying to say. But God comes to us and says that if you will embrace me, if you will love me, and if you will stand by my strength, I will give you the power, I will give you the light that you need to outshine the darkness. And so often, the resistance to your faith will precede the greatest growth that you have in it. That's the comfort, number one, that I have for you when it comes to righteous suffering, is that resistance to your faith often precedes great growth. A sermon that I was listening to this week had an interesting point I can't say it as well as he could because he was from the South and so he had you know, this great accent and drawl to go with it. But it's a saying that he had, um, Pastor Stephen Furtick is his name, and he said that 
If you haven't had a head-on collision with the devil in a while, it might be because you're traveling in the same direction as him. And I can, I can tell you that's the truth. You know, I was speaking to a few of the people that were here for pre-service prayer, and um, during this week, I just felt like God was speaking into me about this subject, and it was great, and moving along, and everything was great. Like, it's never like that, I can tell you honestly. Like, I'll sit here and struggle. What am I supposed to say? What if everything's wrong? And so God was just giving it to me, and then yesterday, after this great week, I just felt like I got ran over by a truck. Like, I literally, like, I felt like I couldn't move, and I was just in this, like, emotional despair, and I was in this, like, state of just complete sorrow and depression, and the, the silly thing about it is, like, there was no reason for it. Nothing's gone wrong in my life recently that I have a reason to be upset about. There's no, no issues I have in my life that would cause this. And so I kind of came to the conclusion that this was God's way of showing me that people live every single day of their lives like this, week in and week out with no hope, with no possibility of joy in their lives. All they can feel is sad and upset. And he's saying that these are the people who need to hear this today, that there is hope in my name and that there is hope when you call on Jesus and there is a joy for the future if you would just reach out for him. And that was just such a powerful moment because that was when this became real to me. That's when, you know, what I'm preaching is no longer words spoken out of the Bible, but it's something that the Bible has spoken to my life and that I've experienced through God. And I want you all to be able to take these with you because, like I said, it's coming for you someday if it hasn't already. Maybe you're in the midst of it now, and what's great about that is these words today can help change around what you're feeling right now. And maybe it's coming in the future, but it's here now to prepare you for it so that you don't have to lose your faith and go away from it when you go through these difficult times. But you can stand strong in it with a purpose. If there's one guy that you want to talk to about suffering who is able to find joy in his righteous suffering, it was Paul. As you know, Paul experienced some of the most persecution of any of the apostles. Um, I mean, every single town he went to to plant a church. Um, and first, I got to say, like, it's really cool that Paul was kind of like the first church planner. Uh, that's something that is in the hearts of many people. God kind of puts that in your heart to go out and share the gospel in places where previously there was no ability to. And so Paul was the starter of dozens of churches, every place he went to, right? He went to Ephesus and Philippi and Colossians. I don't know how to say that, but that. The book of Colossians, that place. He went to these churches, and he started these churches, right? Like, they didn't exist already. He went there and started these churches. So he was the founding pastor of many of the first churches in this entire world. And because of that, he suffered more than almost any other Christian has in their faith. You know why? Because every single town he went to, he got chased out of, right? Oftentimes, he wasn't with a church for more than three months before he got ran out of town because of persecution and people wanted to kill him. There was actually a time where he was stoned to death, and then God told him, nope, you're not done yet, and put him right back in his body. And what did he do? It said he, he dusted himself off, and then he went on to the next town to preach the gospel. Like, he was literally dead. And then he was like, well, I mean, what else am I going to do? I'll just go preach some more, right? So if there's anyone who experienced suffering, 
and knows about what it's like to suffer for their faith, it's Paul. And Paul said that even if you tear me down, even through the worst pains, I will still rejoice in your name because it is holy and it's powerful. And that's the mindset that God wants us to have when we face persecution or when we face fear of persecution. Now he wants us to say that your name is more important than anything else in this world. So why wouldn't I face this persecution if it's for your glory? But there's a second time or a second kind of suffering in the Bible that is talked about often, and that is tragic suffering. And tragic suffering just kind of um, is defined as an unexpected event that causes great pain or loss in your life. And this is something that may may have been coming for a long time, but you know, still hits you really hard when it happens, or it could be completely unexpected, out of the blue. Uh, you know, if I, I think of tragic suffering, you know, as a, a bad car accident, um, as the loss of a family member, as a diagnosis of a, of a painful or a deadly disease, something along those lines. And the Bible talks about tragic suffering a lot as well. And tragic suffering is a little different than righteous suffering, because tragic suffering is something that every single person in this world has the ability to have to endure at some point. You know, the Bible doesn't promise that all of us will endure a great tragedy, which I'm grateful for. Not everyone will, but many people that you talk to would probably tell you that they've endured some sort of hardship, no matter what it may be, whether it's the unexpected loss of a job, which results in the loss of your house, uh, whether you have a child that dies unexpectedly um, or you get diagnosed with some sort of lifelong disease, you know. There are many, many stories about tragic suffering. And what's amazing is that God promises that he will be our comfort in those times as well. It's not just in the times where we stand up for him in our faith and face persecution that he will back us, but he will also comfort us just when we have to deal with the crap that this world throws at us. And so I have three ways today about how God will comfort us in our suffering. And the first way I have to tell you is just that he will be there for you, that he will be a shoulder to cry on for you. And I don't know about you, if you've ever gone through a horrible moment of suffering, if you've ever had that unexpected loss, or if you know someone who has, um, I have a lot of friends, you know, I'm only 23, uh, but I have a lot of friends around my age that have gone through more suffering than I could even imagine. You know, I've been called to some of my friends' houses, many of them not even believers, uh, over different difficulties. I have one friend specifically who comes to mind, and, you know, they had a child who was only 18 months old when he passed away from an unexpected medical complication, you know, and... If you've ever experienced this before, or you've, or you've been around somebody who's experienced it before, you know that there are no words you can say that make it better. Right? I, can't, I can't just give you a verse and you'll perk right up and say everything's okay, right? There's, there's nothing. There's this unfillable hole in your life after suffering that sort of tragic loss that no word can comfort. And that's, you know... God knows that, and God offers not just a knowledge of that, but an experience of that, because he's experienced it both ways. 
Jesus has had to suffer through the most tragic event of all time. And God had to watch him go through it and lose that part of his life. He had to sit there through the same exact suffering of a loss that some of you may have had to go through before. And that's why in Romans 12, verse 15, it tells us to be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Sometimes the greatest consolation is just having that shoulder to lean on and that rock to stand against and to be able to know that there is somebody who is there to comfort you, somebody who is willing just to be there for you on the nights when they're tough, on the days that you can't pull yourself out of bed, that you have a God who is willing to just sit there with you and be with you. And I think that's just so amazing because oftentimes that's something that this world can't always offer. But God will never fail you through it. And he is always able to be that comfort to you. But it's more than just that. That's just one of the ways that he offers his comfort to you. But the second way that he offers his comfort to you is almost like, I guess you could say, God's counterattack. It's like his rebuttal against evil. It's like his ability to renew and redeem every bad thing. And so the second way that God comforts us is by giving our pain a purpose, by giving reason to the suffering that we have to endure. You know, God doesn't cause the suffering in our life. Like I talked about, it's, it's a result of the world we live in. It's inescapable for the time being. But that doesn't mean he can't use it for his good. That doesn't mean he can't take every single bad thing that happens in this world and redeem it and use it for his glory. I heard this phrase that is so powerful, is that he puts to use what the world puts us through. And that if we're just willing to press into him, he will be able to redeem our suffering and he will give it a purpose so that isn't arbitrary. It isn't just suffering without a cause and pain without a reason, but that he can use it for glory. And one wonderful example of that is the story of Joseph, who many of you may know from the Old Testament, uh, you know, Joseph in his coat of many colors, or his technicolor coat of many colors, if you grew up during that time. Uh, and this story occurs over, you know, the last quarter or so of Genesis. It's about 13 chapters long, starting in chapter 37. <coughs> Excuse me. And this is a man who endured the ultimate hardship, a man who was sold out by his family, a man who was left to die, sold into slavery, thrown into jail. That's a lot. I don't know about you. I haven't experienced any of those things. But I think it's really easy for us, and let me tell you today, it's really easy for us to harden our hearts towards the reality of the stories of the Bible when we hear them over and over again, right? We know what happened to them. We know all these things happened, but it doesn't really hit us emotionally because this happened, you know, thousands of years ago. But the truth of it is, these were real people who experienced real emotions and real tragedies. And it's amazing to see that today when we suffer, God is able to use it just like how they suffered back then. And so this man who was sold into slavery over to Egypt, you know, and then he was 
unrightfully thrown into jail on accusations of rape from the Pharaoh's wife. So here you have this guy who, like, all of his credibility gone, right? Thrown in jail, no freedom, no reason to be happy. His family abandoned him, or at least all of his brothers did. And they lied to his father, telling him that he died. It's like, you can't really get much worse of a circumstance than what Joseph was in. But what he was able to do is while he was in jail, he was able to minister to those who were in there with him. And he was able to minister to the guards. And because he was faithful, not for a month, not for a year, but for many, many years in jail under this false charge with no hope, he was able to minister to these people. And God saw that faith and he lifted him out of that prison up to the point where he was the second highest in all of Egypt and he saved the entire nation of Israel. I mean, that's just amazing to think of. Imagine what God wants to do through your suffering. Imagine what God wants to do through the hardship that you are going through right now or that you will go through. But he can't do it unless you're willing to give that to him. He can't do it unless you're willing to say, let your will be done. Even through my worst of days when I can't get out of bed, I want you to be glorified with what I'm going through. There was another man who did that. That was Jesus. You might know him. He, uh, he had to go through the same thing. And there's this interesting analogy that I kind of came across while studying for this week. Uh, there's this place that you may or may not know called the Garden of Gethsemane. And that is where, you know, Jesus was betrayed by Judas finally, um, leading up to the last few days of his life and his death on the cross. And in Luke chapter 22, it gives us the, the information, the knowledge that Jesus often went to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. That that wasn't the only time he was there was the night that he was betrayed, but that he went there often to pray, regularly. And now what's interesting about this is that Gethsemane, when translated into the original Hebrew, means oil press. So something that you would use to press different fruits or uh, you know, vegetables, whatever it may be, for their oil. So most commonly, you know that that would be olives, because olive oil was one of the biggest commodities back in the day. So they would take these olives and had to exert an intense amount of pressure on them to get the oil out of it. And what's cool about this is that in Revelation 1, verse 6, this is God talking prophetically through John. I lost it. There it is. He's saying that he has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. That Jesus has anointed us to be kings and priests in his kingdom. And when you were a king or a priest back in the day, you received that anointing with olive oil on your forehead. That every time somebody was raised into power, into uh, kingship and royalty, or into the priesthood, they were anointed with oil on their head. And this relates to, to Jesus because... The Garden of Gethsemane, which stands for oil press, Jesus spent his time in that garden praying under extreme pressure and extreme circumstance the night before he was betrayed. He was being pressed and squeezed out so hard that blood was literally coming out in his sweat. 
and God was crushing him so that he could anoint him. And oftentimes, what happens is that pain that we have to endure, the same crushing in our lives, is extracting this power for our lives that God is going to use to anoint us to do great things for his kingdom. There's this man named Levi Lusco. He's a pastor over in Montana. He wrote this amazing book called Through the Eyes of a Lion, which is one that I read in preparation for today. And it's a story about just the tragedy that he suffered. You know, he's a man who uh, didn't grow up Christian, but felt a calling on his life. And uh, at the age of 25, he moved over there to start a church. And they started a church called Fresh Life, and things were going well. And then, you know, his family was growing, the church was doing good, and then he was preparing one year, just a few years ago, I think 2013 or 14, for the Christmas service. And five days before Christmas, when he and his wife were out um, just on a date night, which is so cute, uh, going on a date night, take, take your wives on dates, they'll love it. Um, I wouldn't know, but I've been told that. <laughs> uh, he was out there, you know, and he got a phone call from his mom. Uh, saying that their second child had stopped breathing. And so they rushed to the house, and uh, she was lying on the floor, and she was only five years old at the time. And so he's performing CPR, and they call 911, and you know, they just said they were crying and praying this whole time. And the, the medics came, and they declared that you know, she was dead there, but they still brought her back to the hospital. And I wish I could say it ended uh, positively, but you know, she passed away. And so this pastor of this church was sitting here, you know, five days before Christmas, losing, you know, his beloved daughter. And I can only imagine what that would have been like, because I don't have any kids. I don't have, you know, I haven't suffered this great loss before. But the way that he just portrayed it in this book, you know, I, it's like it made me cry because I could imagine that same sorrow and that same desperate feeling of hopelessness that he went through. And so this entire book is meant to focus around how God can use our tragedies for good. And one thing that he declared that day was that your pain is like a microphone. And the more pain you have in your life, the louder that microphone that is. And the louder your microphone is, the more people you can reach with God's grace if you're willing to just turn it on and speak into it. And so through this painful event that he and his wife and the rest of his family, his other three little girls, had to endure, he wrote this book that's been able to sell hundreds of thousands of copies and minister to hundreds of thousands of people who have gone through a similar circumstance. And that's just an amazing example of how God may put you, or you may have to endure a tragedy, but God will be able to take it and use it to glorify his name and to bring people to him and closer to him through it. But it only begins if you're willing to give that up to him. You know, he talked about the tough choice. He said, I'm preaching in four days now, and I don't know if I can do it. But my pain is too great to be kept to myself. God can use this if I'm willing to share it with the world. And they said over that weekend, a thousand people gave their lives to Christ through his message that he preached four days after his little girl had gone to heaven. And that's just amazing. Like it just, it's, it marvels me how much 
God can use these horrible things in our life for good. I really, like, I just can't understand how he can do that. It makes absolutely no sense to me because we see them as something that is going to immobilize us, that is going to wreak havoc on us for the rest of our lives. But God can use even the worst for good. And there's one last point that I have for you as we close out. One last way that God comforts us in our tragedies, if I can find it. Here we go. And that is that he reminds us of where we belong. I think this is a point that too often we lose perspective of in our walk with Christ. Where we belong. You know, the Bible tells us that we are foreigners on this earth. Right? He tells us that this is not where we belong. This is not where we will live for eternity. That this is a temporary holding place until we get to spend time with him in heaven for the rest of eternity. So now going back to Mario. (laughs) See, it all comes around. You know, the princess is in another castle. That phrase is uttered every time he enters into the castle, defeats the boss, and he meets this little mushroom head guy, and his name's Toad, in case you want to know. And Mario goes in there thinking, I'm going to save the princess, because the whole game is she got taken away from him, so I'm going to save the princess. And every time he goes in this castle, there's this little mushroom head guy, and he says, thanks for saving me, but the princess is in another castle. So he says, what you wanted isn't here. Sorry you had to go through all of that hardship to get here and be disappointed, but what you want is somewhere else. And he goes through this entire game, eight worlds, takes me about eight minutes, uh, but don't let that fool you. It's a pretty hard game. Uh, But you go through this entire game, and it's the same time and time again, time and time again, facing all these trials, difficulties, what you want is somewhere else. He's saying that, what you want is somewhere else. Finally, he gets to the last one, right? And uh, if you know anything about Mario, there's got to be Bowser in it. Bowser's this giant turtle with spikes on his back. Just picture it in your mind if you don't know it. It's as cool as you're thinking. Uh, But he defeats him. He gets to the end. And finally, there she is, the princess, the reward he was looking for, right? And so we face these trials and these suffering, and we always look to our next reward to comfort us, to bring us closure or finally bring us that joy and happiness and peace that we've been looking for in our lives. And every time we do that somewhere other than God, it's telling us the reward you're looking for isn't here. Your princess is in another castle, right? Your reward is somewhere else. And God wants to remind you today that our reward is not on this earth, that our true joy, our true peace, and our true hope is not found on this earth. The book of Revelations, as confusing as it is for me and probably you, has a lot of great information about this. And I just want to read this last verse as we're closing out. It's Revelation 21, verses 1 through 4. And it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city... The new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home, or God's home is now among his people, and he will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them, 
and he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And I believe today that God wants to comfort you by reminding you that we are citizens of heaven, not of this earth anymore. And that in heaven, there is no sorrow, there is no pain, there will be no more crying, there will be no more death, there will be no more suffering to endure in our lives when we reach heaven. And if we keep our eyes on the prize and we look forward to the goal that we have in the future, our present will be so much better because we'll know that any suffering we have to endure during this life isn't even a fraction of eternity. Whenever I think about eternity, it blows my mind because, like, if you thought about it this way, like, this cap is our life, right? And so just take the, uh, the word for it that runs right through. I don't know that word. Luther's got it. And take how tall this cap is, and then now you compare it to the size of a space shuttle. And if you zoom out to get the whole frame of the space shuttle, you're not even going to be able to see this cap, right? And so when we're in eternity... We aren't even going to be able to remember what we had to endure on this earth because we'll spend so much time with God that all recollection of suffering and pain and tribulation and trials that we have gone through will be gone. We won't remember a single amount of it. And now, maybe that means that during this life you have to endure this suffering. Maybe you lost a child and God knows that that hole is not going to be filled while you're on this earth. But he gives you the hope today to say that when I spend eternity with heaven, there will be no more suffering that I have to endure. I can have a hope to look forward to the future that will make my present even better than I could have imagined. If you live in the present and all you think of is that we have this life here on this earth and it's done, then suffering is going to get the best of you. Because you're always going to be looking to get a better life, and you're never going to find it. You're never going to find that amazing life where you don't have to endure anything anymore. But if we keep our eyes set on heaven, and we remember that that is where our citizenship lies, then we'll be able to get through even the toughest of days because we know what we have to look forward to. You know, I thought this is an interesting point that... In another uh, podcast I was listening to this week, it was on Psalm 23, which many of you know, uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, right? We've heard that time and time again, and there, there was an interesting point brought out of it that I was listening to, um, that during that entire passage, it doesn't mention anything about sheep, that we are sheep, and you may think that's like, why, why would it? Well, it does start off by saying, the Lord is my shepherd. And usually shepherd are related to sheep. And the Bible has 400 different references of sheep in it, but not in this psalm. And, you know, as the pastor is talking about it, he brought up the point that said, if we know who God is, then we automatically know who we are. And so he said, if the Lord is our shepherd, then we already know who we are. We already know that we are following him. And if we know who he is, then we know what he will do for us. And we know that a shepherd cares for us, that he tends to his sheep, that he loves his sheep, and he guides them, and he carries them through, and he finds them when they're lost and brings them back to the family. And so if we know 
where we're going, then we can endure everything that comes before it. And that gives me hope today to know that no matter what I go through, one day I'm going to experience the glory and the splendor of God's presence in heaven. And that's greater than any good thing on this earth. Anything on this earth can't even compare to the worst thing in heaven, which is amazing. You know, I'm looking for money. I'm looking for happiness. I'm looking for joy. I want to be lazy and not have to work. I want everything I want when I want it. And none of that can satisfy me as much as even stepping foot inside of heaven. So let that be your comfort today. Let that knowledge that you were made with the spiritual stamp that says made for heaven, and that's implanted on your soul, and that's where you're going, and that's where you get to spend your eternity away from suffering. Does that encourage you today? All right. Let's pray. Father, you are great. You are better than we could ever imagine. I just don't understand how somebody could be so good for us in our lives. Even in the most difficult things, Father, we can praise your name because we know that you are in charge of everything and that you can redeem every single thing that we walk through today. Lord, and we need your encouragement. We need to be reminded constantly that we are not of this earth, that we are not meant to find our complete <laughs> peace and joy here on this earth because it's waiting for us up in heaven, Lord. And so we pray and we ask fervently today, Lord, that you would just help to be our comfort, God, that you would be who we cling to when we face trial and difficulty, that we wouldn't run away from you, that we wouldn't try to avoid you and avoid possibilities of persecution and of suffering, Father, but that we would embrace what you have for us, God, that we would fully believe that you are our shepherd and that we would follow you to the ends of the earth, Lord. In your name we pray, amen.